0: Welcome to another episode of People Not War, a podcast brought to you by Campaign Against Arms Trade. My name is Sienna and I'll be your host. Join me as I catch up with campaigners, activists, community organizers, and all round inspirational people working to end the international arms trade and other intersecting issues. Throughout the series, we'll be drawing links between the arms trade and issues as broad as border controls and policing, colonialism, the crisis in Yemen, the militarisation of education and climate justice, to name just a few, with the hope of showing that all these struggles are interconnected. So today I am joined by a friend of Cat, Amina Atik. Morning Amina, how you doing?
1: Hiya, yeah. are you okay guys? Good morning.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for for joining us in this conversation. So a little bit about Amina, but she will, of course, tell you a bit more about herself in a moment. Um, Amina Atik is a Yemeni, Liverpudlian writer, performance artist, facilitator and activist. She has been featured on various platforms such as the BBC, The Independent, British Muslim TV at the Warehouse, Writing on the Wall, Skinny Magazine, Whispering Dialogue and many more. Her recent work includes a commission poem for the Yemen and Conflicts project, developing a spoken word monologue with Dada Fest, and she has been a remote writer in residence with Metal South End, working on the Yemeni Women at War project. Amina, as I said, is also a friend of Kat, and we are really thrilled to have her join us today. So, so welcome, Amina, once again, I'm really happy to have you as a guest on People Not War. Um, and I've already asked you how you're doing, but you know, in the context of kind of everything that's going on, like how are things in Liverpool?
1: Yeah, really good. Um, we're in tier two now, so we're quite happy with that. Um, <laughs> in twenty twenty,
0: <laughs> it's like we're in tier two, so we're happy with that.
1: <laughs> in twenty twenty, want to tell my grandkids. Um, but Liverpool's good. I think we feel a little bit more hopeful. We've had some testing going on, so the city's been amazing. Um. I love Liverpool. It's such a socialist city. We all come together when we see injustice or any type of crisis, really. And just under this pandemic, um, Liverpool's proven to to come together. So, yeah, I'm really proud of my city.
0: (laughs) Anyone who knows you knows that you are a proud Yemeni um, woman and you are a very, very proud Liverpoolian.
1: So that comes as no surprise to us. Scouser. Scouser. Scouser.
0: Scouser, exactly. Um, and actually uh let's that takes us actually um straight to diving into um our conversation really about just um kind of Yemen and obviously you're an artist and all these kinds of things. And I think um again I understand it's it's quite a complicated situation and you know we're not kind of trying to necessarily deep dive into all of the the kind of um ins and outs, but can you just quickly give an overview for anyone who maybe is is joining this conversation for the first time and doesn't really know much about Yemen, the country, much about what's going on. Can you tell us, especially as a Yemeni person, just just kind of what's happening in your country at the moment?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, with Yemen, to understand its current situation, we also have to understand its past. And obviously living in the diaspora and with my limited Arabic, um, it was very difficult to get the correct information. So our main out, you know media outlets was BBC and, and other um, big mainstream media outlets. So it really limited us into knowing what, what was really going on in Yemen. Um, but you know I, I kind of forgot something in the process of being a campaigner is that I am Yemeni. My family live in Yemen, and the best type of source of information is people. And and I just started kind of, like, really asking family, friends, what is going on, but how do you feel as well? And and so before, even when Saudi Arabia and its allies and when we had the UK, USA and France support the intervention, um, Yemen was already at a lot of tension. I was in Yemen two years before um the kind of uprise, as we say the arabic the arab uprise in in yemen when the protests began in 2011 i was in yemen at the time and there was already clashes between military and um, police and the houthi um um i don't like to call them rebels because the bbc does i say the houthi movement um so And I think what had happened is it just escalated really quickly and Ali Abdullah Saleh, who was ex-president who was assassinated, had to hand over his power to Hadi. The problem is Hadi could not take control of Yemen. He could not handle the pressure. He then ran away to Saudi Arabia and asked for help. And I think this is where... This is where it all went wrong, um, personally, because the Yemeni people have always, always fixed their own local affairs. Yemen has, has been in war after war after war, but they've always seemed to fix them. And I think when Hadi went to Saudi Arabia to, to, you know, to ask for support, this is where the division happened. But I also think this is when the Western world saw this as a, a weakness to intervene. Because when they see something segre- segregated, and that's when they will intervene, because it's weak. People are divided. And that's when Yemen became really, really divided in, in opinions and ideologies and everything. And, um, and obviously, international intervention did not help at all. Um, Yemen's situation right now is complex because in war we have starvation, and we have um, low, low um, um, we have starvation, we have a lack of food resources, health workers are not getting paid. And then obviously we have COVID and the pandemic to control in Yemen. It's just so complex. And obviously the main two things that the Yemeni people are asking for is the lift of the blockade so that they can live in a more dignified way, so that they, they can feel like they can pass borders without, you know, um, going through tremendous, tremendous and financial um, strains to, to try and get out of Yemen. I tried to get my mother out to Yemen after the pandemic and it cost per person £3,000 and that was just to get to Europe. So it's really expensive. And my, mom, my mother has a British passport. So if you have a Yemeni passport, you can't get out. And when, and when, when we say blockade, people don't realise it's not just I, a blockade. It's what passport are you carrying as well. You know, the Yemeni passport, you can only travel, I think, to three to four countries, I think, without a visa. Compared to the UK, I think it's 180. So it really does you know and, and 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 it's just it's more than that. A lot of people think war is between two sides, but between war there's so many other factors. There's there's students who were studying abroad who can no longer now finish their degree and have to come back to Yemen. There are families who lived in the UAE or Saudi Arabia that were now exiled to go back to Yemen. And they've never lived in Yemen before. They've never seen Yemen before. And now they're living in a country that is in war. It it it's really, really complicated. Um so so the situation's really complicated. But I would say for people who really want to know about Yemen is to connect with journalists on Twitter. They're your best type of resource. Um you're only gonna get a limited uh, kind of information from mainstream Western media. Western media is painting the whole the movement. I'm not saying whether it's in a negative way or not, but we we want the truth. We want to know a more of a fair, a fair idea of what's going on, what is really going on in Yemen, and um, and also it's it's the use of the word rebel. Um, and I think that word rebel really kind of. It, it it what it does it it's it's mirroring all the other Arab countries that had have gone through the same similar kind of Arab um uprise in the last um eleven years.
0: Thank you so much for that for that um overview. I think it's I think that's really helpful to like frame the context. I think what you're talking about about Western intervention and just kind of how we frame things, this idea of language being very important. Um Keeps coming up in these conversations actually and how we should use it very deliberately so be very wary of using terms like rebel what does that really mean and how how do you, the affected communities really feel about stuff like that about those phrases um I guess just what does it feel like kind of being the diaspora and having to watch what's going on
1: um I do feel like a hypocrite sometimes um as a British citizen um you know being in britain at a time where my government is support not just supporting but also fueling and resupplying in arms makes me feel a bit strange and it makes me feel like i shouldn't take the space to talk about yemen in some ways and that's my personal fight (laughs) but i think i've used this personal fight to be in spaces like this to talk about that humanistic Um, voice in war and how it affects not just people in Yemen but also how does it affect people far away from Yemen yes how does it separate families how does it you know even just psychologically people in the UK have lost homes Um, and even though I mean human life is a lot more dear than a house but even the psychological effect that it's having on British Yemenis is is happening. It's causing a lot of political division in within Yemeni British British people in Britain. So it, it it's really complex. But I also think I have that responsibility, as not just as a creative, but also someone who's who cares and as who likes who wants to be active, is to kind of make sure that I'm going into some spaces and to make sure that the conversation is around the Yemeni people's needs. Because what sometimes happens is that we really focus on the logistics of things, but we also sometimes forget how to reflect the community that we are supporting. And I've seen that a lot, but I don't don't move away from it. I come into that so I can just kind of mend it a little bit and tie the knots. So I see myself as a peacemaker and and someone who goes into spaces to bring peace when I know that my voice can be valued here, but also when I know my, I can make an impact. And, and obviously as a Yemeni person, um, we have a long history with Britain. um, You know, Brit- Britain did, did uh, colonise uh, the South, more than hundred years, um, so we have a lot of influence from British culture in Yemen. So Britain is not, you know, it's it's. Some people might call it a long friend or a long enemy, <laughs> and and. Watching what's taking place from here. From a personal perspective, Sienna, I did not write about Yemen in my poetry ever. It was only until the war the war began in Yemen then I started writing poetry for the first time about Yemen and I felt like it was a way to to connect to Yemen because I thought it was going to be lost that place that I used to go to every single, you know, the summer holidays where you just can't wait to come back to Britain because you're just too modern for this you know (laughs) (laughs) But when the war began, I've really, really, I've learned my Arabic. My Arabic's improved. I've written maybe about 63 poems about Yemen. Um, I have now created a film about Yemeni um, newsagents, which is coming out today. So it's really shifted my work around Yemen and not just Yemen in war, but celebrating Yemeni people because resistance is all about celebrating as well. We Yemeni yeah, people do want to do not want to be seen as victimized. They want to see as they want to be seen as survivors. And I feel like I have a responsibility as also as an artist to enhance that, to celebrate our art, our history, because we're now really looking forward to as young people what can what what would our Yemen look like in the future? Um so there's a lot of things going on As much as I feel really angry and frustrated, but some days I feel really hopeful because the young people of the Yemeni community are just doing some amazing work and I think they should be credited in spaces that sometimes we forget to mention, especially Yemeni activists um, around the globe.
0: So so powerful, and the fact that you managed to to end on that note of hope, I think, is really important. You know, there is such a concept as radical hope, and I think that sometimes people um continue to be very like sceptic. You know, often I I can feel quite cynical myself, whatever. But um you know, if you if you don't have that that bit of hope, then it's going to be very difficult to to carry on with these struggles. We know that these things take time, as you were saying. It's not going to it won't just be ten years to undo. Um, the consequences of oppression, right? We're talking at the long run, the long game here. So you need something to fuel you. And I think um, the way you even speak about about your country, you speak about joy as well, I think is so, is so important. And we'll talk um, very much so about your art um, shortly, because that is, I think, really key to the way that you create space um, as a Yemeni person in this world, in Britain. Just wheeling back slightly to something you said about kind of um the diaspora i suppose and i you i you know we bumped into trouble the other day virtually in these virtual streets <laughs> and you said something that i found really interesting you just mentioned that there's actually quite a substantial semi substantial yemeni community in the north um and obviously you're you're from and based in liverpool and um just can you tell us a bit more about that why is that and and also you when we started the conversation, you spoke about the kind of radical history of, of Liverpool. We we know, we know that quite well. Um, and often with everything, whether it is kind of activism or art or anything like that, there is this focus on the South and this focus on London in particular. Um, and it's important yeah. to kind of shift that. So can you talk a bit about kind of um, just Yemeni people in the North and the Yemeni community um, in the North and kind of that wider um, importance of, of making sure we descend to the South in our struggles? Yeah, so in...
1: Um obviously the North is a special place for Yemeni people who arrived to Britain because of the ports and Liverpool being one of the ports um, a lot of Yemenis arrived so this is you know even pre-war a lot of Yemenis were working in the ships so you know the North does have a special place for Yemen because there's a lot of history but a lot of untold history as well and um, which I figured (laughs) Um, and um, so, whereas the south of Britain, we don't see a lot of Yemeni yeah, people, but only because of how Yemeni yeah, people had settled in Britain, and that's that's interesting because Yemeni yeah, people tend to settle the first place they arrive to. They're not much of a. They're very humble people. Um. They're not very um. What What I learned from my research is that they. A lot of Yemeni men then married English women at the time. So what we see in Liverpool is you've got a lot of family descent who have Irish in them, English, Yemeni blood. And it's really interesting, um, but it's also vital because Yemeni people don't realise how much value they have in British history and this is why it's so important now more than ever to to help our government accountable um, because we we have played a massive role in British society you know, p- the post-war era Yemeni people settled and they had no qualifications didn't speak a word of English but they thought mm, what is it that we're good at as Yemeni people and that is hospitality Let's bring, you know, I know we, we, we also had the South Asians, um, Pakistani community that already had news agents, but in the north, Yemeni people took that initiative. And what you saw is that a lot more Yemeni people um, open news agents, grocery shops, selling your milk, your bread, broken biscuits, you know, waking up at 6am to make sure that the British society, the community, is fed and well. And I know it sounds really flowery and just lovely, but it's such it's such a vital... Because um, I think there's after war, um, Britain was still rationing, people were on the poverty line, and I think the Yemeni people played a massive role to bring that economy back. But also, as when I was speaking to my grandmother about my granddad, my grandmother was saying to me that my granddad would do, like, um, bundles of food because he you knows people were struggling at the time. Um and they understood that because they've always lived a very simplistic life, and poverty was is was quite common in Yemen um without even them knowing it um and um yeah, so I think this is why it's got a special place in the north um it's where they first settled. And um, we've got a long history with the north, and also what I love about being a little Yemeni as a Scouser is we've got so much in common in terms of socialism. And um, and one of my one of my icons is um, Mohammed Azabidi, who's a poet and an activist who I came across a few years ago. And when I first when I heard his first poem, I cried my eyes out because it's a bit difficult as a Yemeni Scouser poet in the scene. But no matter who you read. You just, I never really found that inspiration. That first when I really connected with a writer, like I've got loads of inspiration, uh, inspiring writers that I read, but I just didn't hear anyone that really spoke in my voice. Or that I. Ooh, so a Yemeni. He's Yemeni. Um He's Yemeni. Yemeni. <laughs> he, he he was assass- he was assassinated in the sixties. Um. But he was an activist, he was a socialist. And if you read his poetry, I read his poetry and I literally cried my eyes out. And he talks a lot about the love for change. And and, and I, I really love that because, it, because I said to myself, why do I have to be so angry about change? Why can't I bring it with love? And that's when I think I started changing the narrative about celebrating Yemeni identity as a part of resistance, um so yeah so the poet is called Muhammad Azubi um a lot of people don't know him but i think he should be he should be known He was an activist, a poet, and a change maker. And I think I always say, if he was here today, what would he say to our British government?
0: (laughs) It's really interesting, because when you were talking about the importance of of Liverpool as a city, right, and the ports and these kinds of things, and obviously the commonality, of course, it made me think of the Afro-Caribbean community, right? Um, Particularly um, when we think about Liverpool as, as, you know, quite a diverse city. Um, And when you spoke about the, you know, socialism and the, interesting connections. Um it also made me kind of just want to ask you the question, I suppose, around you know the importance of drawing these connections. Again, this is one of the key purposes of this podcast is to to just keep drawing connections between the arms trade and like other issues. And you know that's something that we've been talking a lot about at CAT in recent years, especially. Um, and we're obviously in this moment of you know a pandemic, but also a huge um uprising um particularly the the summer of kind of Black Lives Matter protests. And are there is there any kind of um Yeah, do you have any thoughts on that kind of um, importance of kind of solidarity and and making connections between struggles, obviously noting the unique nature of struggles um, and kind of the unique uh, experiences that particular communities have. And obviously if we're talking about an african Caribbean community, we're talking about anti-blackness and you know all these kind of complicated things, but there are still kind of some things that will be in common when it comes to oppression, you know, capitalism underpinning stuff, violence underpinning prejudice. So yeah, just what are your thoughts on those kind of the importance of drawing connections between our struggles as we go along?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think the question is to ask is, who is this? Who is this? You know, who is this against? Um, and and something that I realized growing up is, you know, my Somali friends. Um, <laughs> you know, one of my Somali friends came up to me once. She went, Amina. She went, I'm black. I'm Muslim. And I'm disabled. And that and that really struck me because I was like. That's three layers of things that you have to really fight for in spaces where yet is still so discriminated. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, "Why did you tell me that?" She said, "Because I mean I need to. She went. I need to say it out loud to really understand what I'm up up against." And I think that struck me as a sixteen year old girl because I was like, "What does that mean?" You know um and and i think i think more than ever social media has proven that we can really i mean not to take not to take or hijack spaces and 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 you know kind of say that our struggles are are the same but it's to also find it's also to find where we can come together because it's that question that i asked at the beginning who is this against you know and, and if we can come together because, because what we're all fighting for is acceptance, is to be respected as, as the human beings we are. If our main, main outcome is similar, then why not? You know, and I think our forces, I mean, it's, it's that thing about BME, you know, we're already, with <laughs> you know, I hate that term so much, Amina. <laughs> well, that acronym. But I hate it as well. But I think, well, if you're going to stick us in one, one little, you know, four letters, then we will come together.
0: Yeah, black, Asian, minority, ethnic, black, minority, ethnic, black and minority, ethnic.
1: I think you have R now. What's the R you for? You see, refugee.
0: Yeah, you see all these all the, yeah. We're the global majority um, though. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> but but this is the thing they've seen it is it's like it's like okay well if they're already even putting us into this you know category you know and I like to call it category because it does feel like sometimes with a category a tick of a box um then let's join forces and really because our outcome is quite similar we want justice we want justice and and it's also asking who is the oppressor and 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 until we kind of can figure out who who is it against and who is the oppressor, I think we will realise that we're fighting for the same or similar causes. And and I think social media has proven that, the young people have proven that, that social media can be used in a very effective way, especially Twitter. And this is what I say to my friends and my peers. It, it might not seem a massive thing to like or share, but it's a massive... It's part of the resistance. We... As human beings now use technology more than ever so if you were to see a friend on the street active you would support them so so and another way to support them virtually is by liking and sharing their posts and getting out their work
0: what i was going to say though is just thinking about solidarity i think it's really important to note too in britain there's actually a very long history of um minoritized communities um joining forces again especially in like cities like liverpool actually um and all over the country and i think that's really powerful so i suppose it's just making sure that we're able to someone was talking to me the other day about it's not just enough to kind of like use language or like support i think the key thing is that we need to understand why we do things, right? So I think, um, understand why are you sharing, so about social media, why are you sharing that thing? Or like, why is it that it's not a distraction to, mm. to, to for a minute, think about what's going on Yemen or what's going on in Palestine, like draw the connections, because then you'll see there's an overall pattern of of violence, of capitalism, of these kind of like bigger questions and stuff. And um, as you've kind of spoken about the power of social media, I think it's important for us to talk about a bit more. We're obviously in this moment where we're doing so much digitally. Um, and I think it's really great that you are talking about the fact that, you know, sometimes people do little actions on social media as, oh gosh, you've just got like keyboard fingers, Twitter fingers, what are you like really doing, whatever. But I suppose, you know, you're someone who's quite active on social media, you are an artist and we know that those platforms digitally are very important. Um, so how can people make sure that they are, you've started talking about, but how can people make sure they're making the most of what is available to them on social media? How can people make sure that they are um, trying to turn the, the clicks and the likes into something a bit more
1: meaningful? Well, the first question is to ask yourself, who do you follow, um? Because that really reflects on what you see on a daily basis. So make sure that you follow people that you aspire to be, people that you feel fueled by, people that share same common values with, because your news feed will represent that and reflect that. So that I would say that would be the first thing, because sometimes we don't realize. how the algorithms work and how much it affects us psychologically like I used to follow so many girls that were I don't know promoting diet shakes and stuff and I was literally depressed (laughs) but until I stopped until I stopped following them honestly I I feel really good (laughs) but not um that's not the conversation today but it's just the effect the effect that it has on you psychologically it really does so make it a positive one you know and I always say, you know, read what you read. Um, what you um, what you like to um, to read, aspire to write in that way. Um. So it's the same thing as about you know who who do you want to become, you know what kind of impact do you want to make in the society. Then make sure that your space and your company looks like that. So I would say that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know supporting your peers and your friends your writers your activists your poets all of that is really really vital um they're doing this work for a reason and if you if you enjoy their work and it it inspires you then sharing that you will make sure that someone else is also inspired by their work um the other thing is collaborating collaboration is, is 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 the best thing you could do to to make one equal two, (laughs) so you know, collaborate. If you see an opportunity with an activist, say, "Let's do something together." Um, I've done this all the time. It's the best work I've ever did. Collaboration is my favorite. It's my favorite word, but it's also my favorite thing to do. In well, it makes everything stronger.
0: It makes you know. It makes our movement stronger, doesn't it? Collaborating, building networks. Um it makes things sustainable as well.
1: Definitely. And, um, and I would also say, you know, look after yourself online um, as well as the positives and, and the information that we have and the information that we're exposed to. You also get, obviously, the rise of the right-wing parties that tend to hijack spaces like this. So make sure that you look after yourself but also know your rights online as well. You, we have rights online, um. So if there's any obviously bullying, any form of um, racism, you can call that out. And I think with social media, when you call something out, but you know. But you know one thing. I've realised. I don't know about you, but since social media and growing up as a teenager in this in the rise of social media, when there's a, a when I can feel that there's gonna be like a. Um, a confrontation, a racist confrontation or a, an Islamophobic situation, I automatically take my phone out ready to video. Mm, interesting. And and I don't know if that's like a reflex thing or, you know, but I also, and, and it gets me quite emotional because it's like, why did we, why, why I asked myself, why do I do that? And I think it's because if you don't have it, in evidence then it did not happen you know and and that's the other the the other side effect of social media is that no matter as you know as growing up as a Muslim woman if you want to call out something you have to show evidence for people to believe you And, and and that's quite just disheartening
0: it's often the burden put on people who are who are victimized who are marginalized in our society and i think you know what you're talking about just makes me think obviously about the evidence that went viral and of the murder of george floyd for example and and caused um the uprisings that we've saw over the summer but um yeah I have very I do have very mixed feelings about this like idea of you know trauma porn basically so that not what you're talking about by the way um I think the whole thing about like having to evidence I think that we have to always ask ourselves why must we always see to believe when when people why must we have to kind of like um (laughs) simulate an experience for us to like kind of believe when people say this is my experience and this is what's happening and um that actually leads me to to just a question around um You know, something that you talk about quite a lot and it's like an ongoing conversation, this idea of why it's so important to be led by the voices of people who are most affected by something, right? Um, So again, even though you're um, a Yemeni person living in in the diaspora, you actually even said something really interesting about the fact that you sometimes are are not sure about taking up space with your voice, um, maybe because of the fact that you're not on the ground. So there's a hesitancy hesitancy there rather. But like, you know, we'll have a lot of listeners um, kind of tuning in who want to do something and like want to help and like if they are have managed to kind of do that work I hope they have do that work of like understanding their privilege and where they are on that spectrum and um, wanting to know how they can use their privilege um, in a way that kind of supports our movements. so when we think about the arms trade especially right we know yeah. that there's a lot of people who want to be allies and put their bodies on the line and do direct action all these kinds of things or whatever the equivalent is now that we're mostly like online and just kind of what are your thoughts on having striking that balance between not taking up um space um but also making sure that you use your privilege for the better something that you use you often do actually You, you use your privilege for the better
1: yeah i mean it's to ask yourself you know um i think it's a personal question for you for every individual you know firstly the most logistic question is you know what skills do you have you know, in this space or what, what What? can you offer in this space? That's the first question you want to ask. You don't want to go into a space and talk and there's nothing, it's quite empty. Um, you want to be able to go into a space where you can really make an impact. But I also think the question is, you know, if you want to become an ally, um, it's about having you know, a lot of people are allies of the, the, the issue but don't have friends.
0: Not allies of the people, <laughs> yes. So... <laughs> but it's also, I suppose, and that's really important because I understand, you know, we just even think about patterns of migration if we're talking specifically about, you know, kind of those questions. Of course, there'll be people from different communities living in, in other cities, less so than others kind of thing. But the whole point is all of this is work and it's it's about the fact that if you are willing to do the work then you have to make, you have to make the effort. And I think it's also, it's not just about... Yeah, it's not about lip service. Like you do have to go to the lengths that are needed to ensure that you know you're, you're having not just the input, but you're being led by the needs and wants of communities that are directly affected by the issues that you're you're kind of talking about or fighting against. And I think that's really definitely. Um, yeah, it's always an important thing. And I think just on the you know even the term ally, I think again I I really like the phrase like more of an active co-conspirator because that isn't where you know I think the yes. term ally like such great phrases just feels a bit redundant if I'm being honest these days it feels yeah. quite um, passive I think we need to move from that we need to grow from that now I think we need to, to be co-conspirators and we have to be brave and we have to be bold and we need to be willing to make the necessary sacrifices for our movements um, if we're going to win so yeah just a note on language there but we could talk about these things forever yeah. could not we <laughs> you no
1: know, language language is really 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 important and I as a
0: writer of course it's... language is important for you as well
1: I do sometimes I, it is a personal and individual question for everyone to ask themselves and I think one of the hardest questions is what is your intention in this space and and you know obviously someone who's quite spiritual I do ask myself that Allah in everything I do what is my intention and I think in activism it's so crucial that your intention is very clear and 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 it's 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 clear with everyone else in that in that space and shares commonality that we're here to do one thing but i do sometimes um look at the space and it's predominantly of our white friends and allies who take up that space which which i'm quite grateful for um they do turn up to events they do you know the only issue sometimes i feel like is the intention is good but sometimes the action can be wrong and 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 why i say this is because it's because sometimes i ask myself who is this how was this event promoted you know and who is it for because even though i do appreciate the people in the room um and that's not to criticize why you're in the room but it's also to criticize the leadership advocates of 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 these organized events and and it made me think about it's not that because my Yemeni friends and activists don't want to get involved it's because they weren't told they weren't invited so so that's something really that we have to really think about is when we talk about space and allies is who is not in the room um and who should be in the room um and that's not to say that we don't we we don't we shouldn't have our our white friends and allies they are still they are important bridge that um, to some extent but I also have seen I've also seen like people in leadership roles who organize events on issues that affect marginalized groups in our society um, tend to be tend to be predominantly white and that for me is quite it can be an issue um, because I always say, you know, the head of the snake is important. You know, and and so what I would say is if you do have an organization that does care about these issues, then really do look about look at your your staff and look at your who you employ, look at who you hire, the artists and the activists that you have in the room. So yeah, it, it's a question that you have to ask yourself. But the thing is, I think the main, main thing that I really want to end this with, remember that we're fighting for the same cause. And don't let anything else get in the way because this is not about us. It's never about us. This is about the people who are, who are you know, who, who don't have that opportunity to voice the, the, the issue. The people that are um, marginalised that have been silenced, you know. And, and sometimes as activists, and, and this is for myself, I go into spaces thinking, because I'm speaking, it's about me. It's not about me. When I speak about Yemen, it's never about me. And I need to always remind myself every single day because what it's about, it's about people's lives who are in between war but it's also asking myself, what can I do in this space to those who are fueling and supporting the war? And that is our British government. Um,
0: yeah, I think it's very important um, that that kind of emphasising that it's, it's, you know, we have to keep in mind the mission. What I would say, though, as well is, remember, I, I very strongly believe in the phrase that the personal was political. So when you are a Yemeni person, wherever you are, diaspora at home, and you're fighting for the cause of Yemen. I actually think it's okay for it to be partly about you, actually. Um, I think that a lot of that time, so I think, you know, I I definitely agree um, that we shouldn't make it about us and centre ourselves that way. But I think that it's an important thing that drives us to keep going when we think about the effects on our families, when we think of the effects on on our psyche, when we think of the effects, you know, so I think, you know, we tread that line because the personal is political, basically. So the work that I do, yeah, yeah, the work that I Um, do, it's definitely fueled from a personal place. If it wasn't, then it'd be very difficult, actually, for, yeah, I think it very, it'd very be very difficult for me to to shift myself otherwise, actually. So I think it's important that it can and does come from a personal space when you are yeah. linked to the lived experience.
1: No, no, no. De- no, definitely. Look, this is, uh, this is why it's such a personal question to yourself because every space is different. If I see that this event is predominantly white and there's not even no single Yemeni and I'm the only one, then I will make it about me. I will make it about me. <laughs> but... But if I see I'm in the the room and there's people that can speak on the same thing that I'm going to speak about even better, then why should I take up that space? So it's about asking yourself, when can you take a step back and when can you take a step forward? And until you ask yourself, you will know. You will know why you're here, what you're doing. But if you if your intention is wrong, then please get out that get out of the space.
0: Please exit stage left, I think it is. I should know, theatre.
1: <laughs> um all right, so so anyway, Amina,
0: we know that you are creative, we know you're a poet, we know you're a writer, we know, you know, you you've already mentioned that you've um, you, you kind of were sparked to start writing specifically about kind of the Yemeni experiences. You've written 63 poems, I think you said, you know, and you've been learning Arabic to kind of, I suppose, get closer to your mother tongue and everything like that. So just talk to us a bit about the importance of um, creativity in our struggles, the importance of creative work in our struggles um, and and why, yeah, artists kind of, it doesn't have to be the case, but I certainly know that Nina Simone said I'm paraphrasing, but you know, one of the duties of an artist is to is to reflect the times and I take that very seriously myself. So yeah, just kind of what are your your thoughts as a, an artist, um, documenting these times, archiving these times, centering yeah. um, your voice in your art as well.
1: Yeah, um just to go off just to go off that quote, um I do think art <laughs> I think art the work that we create as artists is a historical moment because we create that work in in the current climax. So, and a lot of artists forget that and they don't understand the value of that because people are going to look for that part of history and the art that you've created is part of that. You know, history is not just in academic accounts, it's also in colours and paintbrushes, it's in poetry, it's in everything. So... And and this is why, you know, growing up I was a I would say I was an activist before I was a poet. Okay? But I would never I'd never use them labels. And that was only because I was really, really angry. Um of you know, as it started at the time of the Arab Spring before then. I was really frustrated. My first kind of rallies and protests was on the Palestinian cause. Um and Palestine became very central in my in my written work. Um, and I realised when we were rallying and protesting, even though protesting is is effective and an an important way to communicate and get information out in in a different way, I do also think that it limited, it limited to to what to to what extent we can um engage with an audience. And when I then implemented art and activism together, it really did shift my work. And, and I think what's so important is because the art that you create, you're bringing people into a space that they weren't um, prepared for. So I'm speaking in a poetry night, no one's prepared for a poem about Islamophobia, but they've got it, and they've got no choice but to listen you know, and that's what I love about art is you are in control of that narrative, you're in control of the space that you have earned and you have an audience that just wants to hear art and this is the thing also, what is art, what's the purpose of art as as well, is it to educate, is it to inspire, is it to entertain and I asked myself that two years ago and I said to myself, my art is there to challenge. My art is there to educate. My my art should do something. I don't want my art just to be a source of entertainment where people just think that they can escape their reality. And that's not my art. My art is there for you to come and, and to kind of feel like you have to listen because you're already in the space. and, And... And... And also because I just think politics in general has lost its human voice. um, And art, use, art values human voice. Human voice is essential in our work. So I think when you intertwine them together, you just become like a little warrior.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. And I think this idea of storytelling in our campaigning and um, in, in the work that we do is, is vital. And I love what you said about, you know, politics, of course, has kind of lost that That human voice people just become statistics and they just become facts rather than um human beings and like another quote that i really like um by another one of my heroes callia jones is a people's art is the genesis of their freedom i think that is i always find that and and the quote by nina sapone really really important and so uh, we're actually coming towards the end of our conversation um but i wanted to ask you something because you you spoke about you've actually mentioned the word anger a couple of times. I thought that was really interesting. And I was listening um, to that and I was thinking about the role of art, which is to ensure that we actually unlock and feel the full spectrum of human emotions, actually. Um, whatever kind of part of the purpose of your art is, I think some of that includes this idea of feeling. Um, mm. And I think anger is, um, well, it's a much maligned and misunderstood emotion actually. And oftentimes you're encouraged to see it as this like really negative thing. But I always say, as you find anger to be, um, you know something you can harness productively and make it a very, a very much a fuel um that mm. keeps you going for, for change so i guess i wanted you just to speak a little bit about kind of how we can actually harness our anger when we are angry at the state of the world or we're angry at something um maybe what what do you do i suppose to harness your anger and turn it into something that makes you um productive that makes you create um and the only thing that you do destroy is, of course, the, the systems of oppression that we're trying to destroy.
1: I love being angry. And, and th- this is another way to shift it because people think that we don't intend to be angry. No, I am damn angry. <laughs> I am being angry and I am angry. So when you are angry, don't shy away from that. You know, it's a real emotion. Um, and and, and vocalise that. Tell people, I am angry. Or you can say, I am an angry woman. <laughs> um but the other thing is it's about looking after yourself as well the way that we do is it it is it can be a lot emotionally mentally, physically sometimes, and it can be a lot because sometimes you feel like you're the, like the lonely voice in this space you the the lonely voice in this movement when really there's probably millions of years, but it just can seem like that, and it's sometimes it feels like the road has no end and And this is why I mentioned at the beginning is celebrating is a part of my resistance as well. Um, I'm just going to show something. I know people can't see. But in this cover, okay, which I'm really proud about, this this is a Yemeni cloth. Okay. To the music and artist readers who are probably predominantly white and middle class they don't know what that scarf means. They just see red, black and yellow. But to my Yemeni community, they recognise it. They recognise themselves in them colours. So for me, that is also a part of resistance. It's about visibility and representation, but celebrated. You know, I'm not just celebrating the hijab. I'm also celebrating the colours of those that that I identify with. So what, what I'm trying to get to is that... And being angry is real, it's an emotion, but also, on the other side, it's also uh, celebrating who you are as as part, as as an activist, and celebrating your voice, your identity, and, and art is the best way to do that. It's one form of doing that. Um, and the more people see you, I think... Um, the better but I've definitely taken a 360 turn in my work I was I was angry to the point that I my work was not effective anymore Mm, that's a good that's a good thing to highlight yeah so ask yourself you know what emotion is effective also because if being angry in that time and space is going to get you somewhere then be angry but if it's not going to get you anywhere then find a different type of emotion because the main thing that you want to do is get your to get to communicate to the other side and that is that should always be your goal perfect um so amina um as we talk about celebration it's really important
0: to kind of celebrate like you know what else you might have coming up so is there anything that you would like everyone to kind of know that you're working on and where can we find your work and kind of um, stay in touch with you and follow your journey?
1: um yeah so um i have just fin i've just produced a film called Unheard Voices and that looks at um Yemeni news agents and shopkeepers who um settled in the 60s 70s in Liverpool um and the reason i done I done this film is because uh, the Yemeni community is still so unheard of in, in British um history in academic account and but yet they've played a massive role um, and they, sh- they should have a place in it. um. But obviously, as an activist, and obviously with the current situation, what's going on in Yemen, I had a different agenda as well, and that is visibility. The more we talk about Yemen in every form or shape, the more people can know what's going on about Yemen. So th- I think, I hope that the film, because the film's quite subtle, a lot of, like, people that don't know about the arms tree, people that don't know about Yemen, will go into the film, think, oh, it's, it's too <laughs> entertaining. But when they find out who created it, it's like, oh, yeah. And they'll, they'll know about who's... They'll know more about Yemen, they'll know more about what's going on currently, but also what their British government is... ..what role their British government is having on Yemen as well. So, and I think that's the work that I create. I create one... I create work for purpose, but I also have that agenda of activism in it, always
0: a little bit of a Trojan horse approach kind of bring people in they may not know what they get into but then you know they take away something like very important I think that's it isn't it I think having a variety that's why you know I often do multidisciplinary work you want to have a variety of ways of, of reaching people sometimes it is better to kind of reach people through like you know this campaigning in a very active manner sometimes it's through art sometimes you know it's, it's from some kind of other means so I think the, the fact that you do it on multiple fronts is vital. Um, and Amina, we'll make sure we include your social media handles kind of in our show notes, but just remind everyone where they can catch you on socials, because you love, I know that you're on socials, so remind us where to find you.
1: So, um, yeah, you can find me on social media. Uh, my Twitter handle is um, at Amina Atik Poetry, A-M-I-N-A A-T-I-Q and then Poetry and then Instagram and Facebook it's Amina Atik Poet
0: lovely well it's
1: been an Thank absolute pleasure to chatting to you um,
0: and that's uh, another wonderful conversation um it's been a pleasure catching up with um our friend amina um and that my friends brings us to the end of this particular conversation tune in next time as we catch up with more inspirational comrades and don't forget you can listen to episodes of people not war everywhere you get your podcasts including itunes spotify and Acast, and of course you can read the Zine of the same name on the cat website simply visit cat.org.uk. Stay in touch by following us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you're enjoying our content, why not consider becoming a supporter? Again, more information about that on our website. But for now, until next time.